from the NLRPD to KTHV to behind the microphone. It's Scott Romine with Guatney Unplugged. Hi, welcome back to Guatney Unplugged. I'm your host, Scott Romine. We've got on the phone all the way from England, Brian Carroll, who has worked in tons of movies. How are you, Brian? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you doing? How, how are things over in England? Uh, wet and rainy. Very much not like SoCal. <laughs> Is that right? Hey, you've worked in movies. You have worked in two of my favorite movies of all time. And your first film, you worked on Predator. How did you land that? Yeah, you know, uh, it, you know, I was a, actually Predator was amazing. I was a nine-year-old punk kid, and I just worked as a delivery driver for an optical house where we delivered to editors. And um, got a there was a show that my stepfather was doing next door called Project X, and I went over there and and was able to get a little bit of internship over there. And this B movie, believe it or not, Predator had shut down. I was just start back up, and they were like hiring anybody. And so I was able to get on that as an apprentice uh, with this amazing editor named Johnny Link, who had just cut Commando of all things. And my favorite movie, sudden, Commando, it, is my favorite movie of all time. I got to say that. Wow, yeah, it was a <laughs> B-movie that turned out to be a giant, has a real cult following now, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, Project X, I think that was a Matthew Broderick thing, if I remember right. Yeah, I was only on it for a couple of weeks before, uh, just as a, you know, checking it out, but Predator was the one that really launched me. And, Brian, how hard is it working in the remote jungles of Mexico? You know, at that time, I was in editorial, so we got to be in the remote jungles of Santa Monica, so it wasn't so bad. <laughs> oh, so you didn't, you weren't on the set, really? No, not for that one. We were still, yeah, at those times, you didn't really travel on location, because we were still shooting film. It's very difficult to cut and edit film on a location, so it wasn't until now that we're digital cutting that we're able to be on a lot more of the locations in the last 20 years. So you're working on Predator. Was any of it shot there where you were, or most of it, I guess, was in a jungle? It was mostly in a jungle, but we also did some uh, some stuff we did on stages when they came back. You know, a lot of that, some of the little visual effects, and um, as well as, you know, at that time, they had just invented the flare camera. And we were the very first ones to use the flare camera. So we recreated some of those scenes on a stage because you had to, it was, you know, it was so sensitive, you had to hose stuff down and then kind of recreate it, so... I always wondered about that. You're talking about the Predator, the heat vision. Correct. Yeah, that was the clear camera had just been invented, and we we were really the first ones to kind of pioneer and use that in a film. You know, I don't know if everybody knows, but John claude Van Damme almost started on that film as the first Predator. Yep. Yep. That was his. He was there, and then when we then when they went to uh, oh, I forgot a guy's name who did uh, Harry and the Hendersons and all those big characters that he acted in. Kevin Peter Hall. There it was, yep, Aaron Peter Hall, yeah. Great so, big guy. Yeah. Did you have a chance to be around Arnold at all? Oh, yeah, it was, it was, we, you know, in post-production, you spend a lot of time with the talent because you're doing ADR and mixing, and that was a huge thrill to me because, you know, growing up in the 80s, man, that was, Arnold was our guy. We were all weightlifters, and, you know, it was Arnold and Lou Ferrigno, so he was the first actor I got to meet and probably one of the coolest people I ever met. He was a gentleman, signed my poster for me. I'd have to go get him apple juice twice a day. It was really cool. Gosh, that's just awesome. So yeah. you go from getting to work on Predator and you follow, I guess, John McTiernan over to one of the quintessential action films of all time, Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard, which almost didn't get made about a month before uh, believe it or not, Clint Eastwood backed out, and they were scrambling to find who would be John McClane. And it, and of all, you know, 
you know, Bruce had just come off the show, wasn't, you know, wasn't really having the hits he thought, but I could never imagine that show with, with, you know, without, without him in there. Well, when you're making it, did you have a feeling, hey, we're really making something special here? Because 10, 10 or 15 movies were copied off of that film. Oh, yeah. I think story-wise, it's probably one of the most copied. But it was one of those where we liked the script, and then as we started making it every single day, it was like, wow, this is really cool. You know, it was, it was a building thing. And then when we finally finished the first cut of it, you know, shooting it and got to see the first cut, it was like, let's get this out there. And I think it was like a 12-week post, which is a third of the time. We, we knew we had something, but it had no idea what it would turn into. It, it, the bigger impact was how many people copied it afterwards, I would think. That's right. Oh, there was all kind of co- – st- st- uh, Steven Seagal made a few that were directly ripped off of Die Hard. Oh, yeah. Tell us about Alan Rickman because we've lost him now. Hans Gruber, one of the most favorite you know, villains I of all know. time. Yeah, and what a what an interesting character he played in that. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's kind of interesting because, it, and also, you know, I watched Predator the other day. Um, it's kind of I miss the innocence of the made up terrorist. You know what I mean? I don't know how you would even make Die Hard today, but him for that time playing this evil, but yet like very well educated, very fashionable, suave guy. He was. I mean, you got me as one of the all time great villains. Oh, and and how did you shoot him falling out of the building? I mean, he's falling out of the building. It looks very real. Well, yeah, because remember, those days we still did real effects. You know what I mean? You'd put the cable on the guy, you'd let him fall down, you'd shoot him at a higher speed. You know what I mean? And then you would then... And then you would only add a little bit amount of visual effects at the time, which weren't even visual effects, they were special effects, to help the scene out. But that's why a lot of that stuff looks so real, is that was kind of the end of the true stuntman and the true visual effects and the, you know, the cabling systems and all that. Those movies are better. They just are, I think. I, I agree. You don't rely on technology. We won't rely on technology as much to help us get the story across. You know, it's, uh, it, it, we had it figured out, and we got the story, and then let the technology help to enhance it. And you filmed the Nakatomi Plaza building is the Fox Studios building, correct? Well, you know what's funny was, you know, again, Die Hard didn't have a huge budget at the time. Fox had just sold, Rupert Murdoch had just bought 20th Century Fox, but the property next to it was still owned by Marvin Davis, the original owner, and he was building a hotel there, which had nothing to do with the Fox building. That happened after Predator. He had, they were building a Marriott there, which was actually funny, used in the second lethal weapon, but they were also building that Fox building. So while they were building it, it was perfect for us because it was extremely cheap, right? They had floors that were unfinished that we could build the stuff on and every set that Joel Joel is a huge Frank Lloyd Wright fan so every set has a Frank Lloyd Wright theme and that had the falling water theme inside that building so it was like it was an economical way to shoot it and it was the only building when you drive down Olympic that you stare at it's right at the end of the road there and that's that opening shot when he looks up from the car and you can see it there at the end of the bill at the end of uh, the street oh I've been down there I'm a fan I had to see the real Nakatomi yeah, uh, yeah, I'd always heard that that film was going to be the sequel to Commando, but Arnold wouldn't do it. Um, there's always rumors like that. I don't, I don't know how that could have done that, but you know, you never know. There's always stuff out there like that. Um, I know Die Hard Two was actually a script called Fifty Three Minutes that Joe loved and quickly adapted into Die Hard Two. That was not, you know, he he read a script and that was like perfect. Let's do that with Rennie Harlan directing that one. I think they're but, making more now. Another one. Yeah, man, they they, <laughs> they just never stop. <laughs> it never but ends. nothing will ever be Die Hard One. No, it will not. 
Hey, uh, Brian, let's talk about your movie. I'm a huge motorcycle nut. I was a motorcycle cop for years. And you've made a film called Why We Ride. And it's just about people that love motorcycles. Yeah, it, you know, it's when we made it, it was really in sponsor. It was something that I've always been passionate about. I'm, I'm a motorhead. It, it, it's, it doesn't matter if it's an airplane, a car, a motorcycle. I love everything engine. But I love, love, love motorcycles. But why, what is the motorcycles? I love the people and what motorcycle people are. And I'm a better person because I ride. And I've always, and with, you know, Sons of Anarchy and all the stuff going on, I wanted to celebrate it really for non-motorcyclists. And that's, and so we made Why We Ride, which is a very bold statement, but I believe if you're going to make a documentary, make it bold. And it was something that was inspiring and something we want to show people that who we are and we're from all walks of life, but we all have this, this common bond that we all have, which is these two wheels and what it does for us and what it allows us to do and become and explore in this world. And for us, it's really about the journey. It's not about the destination. And we uh, made it, released it in 2013-14, and it became one of the biggest uh, motorcycle documentaries ever. It's one of the most award-winning documentaries. And most of our fans have been non-motor people. It's either, you know, you read our reviews from fans. It's like, I watched this. I went and learned to ride a motorcycle, or I got a lot of people came back into motorcycling. So it, it took that edge, kind of like what happened in the 60s with Honda, what Honda did in the 60s, it really took the edge back off of all the Sons of Anarchy and stuff and said, you know, these are good people, and, and there's no better feeling in the world than when you're on a motorcycle. Tell us about that. I totally agree. Uh, it can't be explained. You have to experience it for yourself. You know, I mean, it's, it's freedom. It's pure it, freedom. It, it is. It's freedom. It's closeness. It's the only thing where you, the environment, and the machine are connected in a way that all three of you rely on each other. Most things, a car, you can fall asleep, it'll keep going. You know what I mean? In the airplane, you go, you can go. But you and the motorcycle have to be attached in order for either one of you to move forward. You know what I mean? If you're not on it, it's going to fall over. And there's, there's something amazing about that, almost primal about that connectivity. It takes uh, all your concentration. It takes all your digits to make that thing work. Oh, and yeah. I, I'm, I always say I'm, you know, I, I, I'm closer to this world and to the universe and to God when I'm on a motorcycle than any other way. It's kind of like scuba diving, where whenever you're riding a motorcycle, this is all you can think about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, yeah. You know? It, it's, it's more than anything else. You know what I mean? It's, people say, well, you know, because I used to fly, they say, was it like flying? I said, no. If anything, it's probably like landing, you know, because <laughs> anybody can Anybody yeah. can fly a plane, but when you're landing, your sensors are going full force, da-da-da. That's right in a motorcycle, man. You, are, you have to be 100% tuned into everything that's going on, and that's relaxing when you really look at it. To with it. It's like meditation, when you're just 100% tuned into everything that's happening, the machine, the environment, you know, your, your eyes, your smells, you're just, it's just, I don't know, you have to do it. That's all I can say. You that's have to right. try it once. I've, I've never met somebody who tried riding and didn't like it, put it that way. That's <laughs> right. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, Guatney Unplugged. The website is whywewride.com, correct? Yes, whywewride.com. Check out our new charity ride we're doing there up the coast. You'll, you'll love it. Man, that's awesome. Brian Carroll from England talking to us on Guatney Unplugged. We'll be right back.